Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme. Going through the papers this morning, I see Anne Murphy is writing in The Examiner that the protests, like the one that was held in Formoy and the ones that are ongoing in East Cor- East Wall in Dublin in recent days, is only going to drive wedges of division in communities and it'll re-traumatise people who are arriving into this country and that's a quote from the Immigrant Council of Ireland. Their chief executive Brian Killorn is calling for calm in localities um, particularly where communities are frustrated and he's urging the government to increase the level of planning for people who are fleeing war and conflict and uh, are coming to Ireland to gain some kind of sanctuary and of course we know we spoke about it yesterday about seven people attended a protest in Fomoy on Wednesday evening and they were protesting against newly housed asylum seekers at the former convent in the town and the protesters were demanding the immediate deportation of the 66 people who had arrived seeking international protection and during the protest one of the speakers was questioning why that old convent in Formoy, which has been converted into an accommodation centre, why it couldn't have been done up for our own people and why Irish people who are living in emergency accommodation, why could they not have been housed there uh, instead? But I don't know if putting people into a centre that, from what I can gather, has six bunk beds in each room they're sharing bathrooms I don't know if many Irish families would deem that suitable accommodation the Irish families the ones who are in emergency accommodation are living in hotels and guest houses they're not not ideal either and I don't know if that is the answer to our housing problem to be putting everybody to be putting our own Irish people into what are basically asylum uh, centres and of course we know the protests have continued at East Wall in Dublin and they're also protesting against the location of a centre for asylum seekers in their area and actually in Dublin the protesters have blocked the port uh, tunnel for the second time this week. So the Immigrant Council of Ireland are saying that communities must consider where best to direct their frustrations 
about the lack of local infrastructure. They're saying, is it at individuals and families and children who are fleeing war and persecution? Or should your frustration be best pointed at the political and economic forces which have repeatedly, according to the Immigrant Council, failed to respond to the growing needs of the Irish communities. And the Immigrant Council said protests against those fleeing conflict will not address uh, the issues that local communities face and it will only serve to do more damage than good by re-traumatising the adults and the children. It will drive these wedges of division into the community and, of course, it bolsters the aims of those who have extreme anti-migrant sentiments and there have always been anti-migrant and they will use situations like this. They'll just exploit it and they'll try and garner uh, more support, you know, by putting up misinformation, etc. So the Immigrant Council are appealing, please, for calm and for increased government planning and communication and investment to the benefit of all those who live in our communities. And I think communication is the one, certainly from listeners contacting us yesterday, they just need to be told what's going on and what's happening and what is the planning going uh, forward. Now, the Department of Integration, of course, confirmed to us that the Formoy Centre, because the misinformation went out that they were all single males, mainly from African and Arab countries. And, of course, that was completely untrue. So we were told then that the Formoy St. Joseph's convent, the old convent in Formoy, it has capacity for 77 people. They've got uh, 19 bedrooms for the 77 people. And on Tuesday's arrivals, there was 19 families, 25 of them are children and then eight are single uh, women. The uh, and a really good point from the uh, Immigrant Council, they're saying that public sentiments around refugees is very, very strong in this country. And they're saying while protests like the one in Formoy and the ones in East Wall, they might be the ones that are making the headlines. They might be the ones that you're seeing on social media. But the Immigrant Council are saying every single day there are countless thousands of people across Ireland who are working either in support organisations or in voluntary organisations within their communities to create an environment of welcome for those who have come here in search of uh, sanctuary and they say that is true of Eastwall, it's certainly very true of the town of Formoy and many other locations where we as a country and that's something we as a country can be very proud uh, of and tomorrow actually I saw this on I saw it up on social media, but a lot of the papers are picking up on it as well. There is a solidarity rally. That's what they're calling it, is going to be held beside the Church of Ireland Church in Formoy. And the idea of it is to welcome the immigrants uh, to the town. One of the organisers is Kate O'Connor. Kate is with a group called Formoy and Mallow Against Racism Group. And she says Formoy community is now mobilising against that protest that was held on Wednesday night. And she says our town has been very much misrepresented. Refugees, she said, are welcome in this town. They always have been and they always will be. So they want to sort of get out the message because they, they were fearful that, you know, other people around the country would see what had happened at that, pro- that protest, which, which again, it was only 70 people. It was a small protest. But if that sort of message gets out that people in Formoy are protesting, they don't want that message to go out, that that does not represent the majority of people in, in Formoy. And certainly by the calls and comments we had into the programme yesterday as well. And again, I can see some coming in uh, this morning. You know, people are saying that, you know, the protesters and they have a right to protest. Nobody's taken away from the right to protest, but they 
they certainly don't seem to represent the majority of people in Formoy. And I again go back to, and it would be in agreement with the Immigrant uh, Council, it's, you know, if, if people that protest and, and are protesting against the asylum seekers coming to Formoy or in anywhere else, don't take it out on the people who are f- coming to this country for a better and a safer life you know, redirect your anger elsewhere and, you know, have your protest. As I say, nobody, we live in a democracy and a democracy means you can protest when you want to protest, but it's just doing it outside the the centre was the part that really upset me and to hear people chanting and, you know, and saying deport them and get them out, get them out. And I just thought of those 25 little children inside who for the majority of them, they fled conflict in their own countries and suddenly they've been told by their parents, we're going to take you somewhere where you're going to be really safe and suddenly to arrive and to have people shouting outside where you were for your very you know, first or second night. To me, just very frightening. And we want to help make it the most wonderful time of the year for as many of our listeners as we can because we've got the C103's Christmas covered for 2022. We are giving away super value gift cards by the end of next week. We will have given away in total five €5,000 worth of these Super Value gift cards. C103's Christmas covered your chance every weekday to win a €500 voucher, which should hopefully cover your festive shopping spree. Nine in the morning, two in the afternoon, five in the late afternoon. We play the Christmas bells. You simply have to count them and then you'll be texting or WhatsApping Martina on drive time with the total amount for your chance to win. And then Martina dials out a number and people wait by the phone to see if their phone will ring. And if it rings and you can relay back to Martina the number of Christmas bells that we play every every day at nine, two and five, uh, you will win that 500 euro voucher. That's the C103's Christmas covered with super value gift cards. And they are perfect for every occasion. They're available in store. You can also get them online for e-gift cards and they can be sent actually with a personal message. You search super value gift cards but you're listening weekdays 9am 2pm and 5pm to win only on C103 and let's stay on the festive theme because I've been asked to mention that Senior Citizens Party will be happening next Sunday 4th of December from 2 to 4 in the afternoon it'll be held in the St Vincent de Paul rooms in Charleville the organisers tell us there'll be plenty of food there'll be prizes there'll be music and Santa Claus has even promised to pop in and all senior citizens from the area are very welcome to attend that's St Vincent de Paul's rooms in Charleville next Sunday afternoon. We hope you all have a lovely, lovely afternoon at that uh, Senior Citizens Christmas party. And actually, I'll hopefully get to it a little bit later on uh, on the programme. It's what they're calling a grey uh, boom and it's life in, life expectancy in Ireland keeps increasing and we're doing much better than some other European uh, countries and we're living longer and we're living healthier lives, which is fantastic news uh, for older uh, people. But the fact that the, you know, it's there, the statistics are there to show, you know, how many people are over 65, over 75, over 85, what it's expected to be in the next, say, 10, 20, uh, 30 years. You know, when all of this information is there, that means that the government and all of the relevant departments need to kick in and put the planning in place for the ageing population. So they're calling it a grey boom. 0818 103 103. John Paul, take your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part 
part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, in its most recent research, the Central Statistics Office have reported that nearly a half a million Irish adults aged 18 or over were residing with their parents in the family home. There is a range of reasons why, now, namely the current cost of houses and the rising cost of living in this country. So this morning we're asking, is it a good thing for young adults or indeed for their parents to still be living under the one roof? With words of advice, Jill Hines, who is education and parenting consultant and author of Later, A Guide to Parenting a Young Adult, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jill. Good morning. And it's great to talk to you and thank you for taking uh, time out for us this morning. My pleasure. Now, is there an average age when we should expect children to leave the family home? Well, is there an average age when we should or is there an average age when we do? Um, I think uh, I just looked up your statistics in Ireland. They're very high, I have to say. The average in Ireland is around 26, 27, which is high. Um, the, the, The... biological age, if you like, when we're sort of ready to go, is probably around about 20, um, 18 to 22, really, that kind of age. So it is later than our biology would like us to be leaving. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Yeah, and certainly if you chat with, um, you know, previous generations would have said, I mean, even here in the office, we were asking everybody, what age did you leave home at? And the majority of uh, people who are aged, say, 45 and over Uh, all said yeah I was gone at 18 I went to college and then went on and got a job and you know what I mean and and very few said that they were still at home in in their early in their early 20s but is there is there a danger then that adult children can get used to the comforts of uh, particularly Irish mammies but dads can help out as well (laughs) in in looking after them gets very comfortable Yeah, that's pretty much what I what I've been working on really is is how do we get young people to still grow up? <laughs> how do we get them to still grow up properly if they're living at home? And it's quite important that we don't still treat them as if they were 15 and 16, you know. So they need to start contributing to bills and they need to start taking a, a real um, share of the load of running a household and they in return have greater privacies and everything else so they need to be as much as possible living as adults in the family home when they reach the kind of 18 to 20 age you know particularly if they've been away to college and come back which I think is happening more and more these days mm. the boomerang generation and all that um, then you know they've had experience of living by themselves and often they go back home and they lose those kind of skills because they get taken care of and uh, fussed over and fed and <laughs> yeah. everything else. And that's lovely. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd love someone to fuss me. Yeah. But who, who it's not wouldn't? awfully good for us. Yeah, yeah I know. It's and, a and treat. But having additional adults in the house, I'm assuming it can cause conflict in some cases. Ooh. It, it famously does. It famously does. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why parents don't really allow their children to grow up while they're living at home. Because living with another fully-fledged adult is a lot harder than living with a dependent child. So I think there is a kind of um, uh, instinctive way of infantilising these young people to keep them as dependent kids. Because that way the power doesn't shift. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, do you feel like do rules and boundaries need to be set? They need to be negotiated rather um, than because set. you're talking yeah. about a young adult. So it's about actually letting go of some of for a parent. It's about letting go of some of your control but being willing to meet halfway on some things that maybe you wouldn't have been willing to do a few years before. It's a bit like, you know, how would you treat a lodger? You wouldn't tell a lodger they've got to be home by a certain time or they've got to get up in the morning at a certain time. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's about how do you develop a relationship? It can never be like a lodger and it shouldn't be like a lodger. It's, it's It's a family and there's a lot more love and a lot more commitment and a lot more history in there but it's about how do we give that young person much more autonomy while still living in the family home and make it fair and try and reduce the stress my my own big tip is to sort of have i know it sounds awful it sounds awfully american and people raise their eyebrows at me but family meetings having a time maybe it's you know you make it a nice thing maybe you have a takeaway or maybe you have a a sit down dinner you know like a sunday lunch sunday lunch yeah yeah, exactly. You know, let's make it let's make it something that works for the family. Where this, you know, part of the deal is we talk about how we're doing as a family living together, what any stresses and strains are, and it's not about arguing; it's about listening. Yeah, and do you believe that the parents though should be preparing these adult children for for moving on, giving them the skill oh, yeah. sets? Yeah, I really do. I actually think that it's better for them to to move out if they possibly can. I think it's part of their, you know, we are biologically geared. <laughs> That's what adolescence is all about. It's all about separating. It's about separating out from the family you were born into and, and starting to find your own uh, family, but tribe, we call them tribes. So it's a friendship group. It's your, your group of people that you belong to that aren't your family, you know, your outside group of people. And gradually over time, that group of people become more important to you than your family for a while, not forever, but for yeah. a while. Do, and, but, and that's designed to make you want to leave home, you know. But what it's do, do you have sympathy and feel for this, our, our current young generation of adults who feel they've no choice but to remain at home? I mean, we have a massive housing crisis uh, in, in this country and, yeah. it, and it comes down to affordability then if you are yeah. able to. And that many, you know, don't want to be living with mum and dad. I get it. They've no choice. No, I get it. I, I think it's awful that that, that has, has to happen for so many. I think it's something that needs addressing because you also have a rising young people's mental health problem. Yeah. You know, you, you've got a big problem on, on the doorstep here. Um, a quarter of all young people in Ireland are now suffering from anxiety. You know, that's not good. And that's not healthy and that's not what, what anybody wants... It's a lot higher here. I have to say I'm in the UK and it's a lot higher here. So you're doing better than us. But it's still not something that anybody would want to have or want to see. And that's pre-COVID. Those figures are pre-COVID. So I think, you know, they're even higher. Since COVID, it's even higher. Yeah. yeah. And and also, you know, having adult children. Now, there will be some um, mammies. Irish mammies are famous for not wanting to let them. They are. Particularly the boys uh, fly the nest. But but for others, it can be tough on parents who might like the idea of having an empty nest. Well, 
this again, it's about life choices, isn't it? And most parents don't really expect their child to be still living at home at 30, you know. Mm. And and these averages, let's face it, they're averages. So if the average is 26, 27, that means there's quite a lot of people older than that still living at home. There's also a, a problem that the longer they stay, the less likely they are to move out. Because we go through this, uh, you know, our... our, our bodies are kind of designed, our brains are designed to go through these stages and we go through this stage where we want to leave and we want to set up home and everything else and then we go through a nesting phase. If you're still living at home when you're in your nesting phase, you're going to stay put and that's not ideal for anybody. So I think there's a lot, I I know a lot of people uh, who are going, you know, oh, my daughter's coming back to stay and I really wish she wasn't. (laughs) You know, my daughter's moving back in with me and she's 32. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, people want their own lives too, and they're entitled to them. It's also great for the relationship. The relationship between parents and children are supposed to grow up. You know, you're supposed to then have relationships as adults, equal adults, and that's never going to happen while you, they're living at home, really. So I think on a lot of levels, a lot of parents do want their children not necessarily to leave home if they don't want to, but they want them to want to. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They want them to grow up. And, and Jill, your book, um, A Guide to Parenting a Young Adult, it gives tips, does it, on, on how to oh, try yes. and get the balance right? How to right. live with them, how to negotiate with them, how to cope with them and how to skill them up so that they are able to leave. Lots of tips on, you know, how to help them manage money and credit and all those things that we think they know but actually they probably don't i can remember being 17 and being amazed that having a bath essentially costs money (laughs) never occurred to me you know water comes out the tap it's free or the other one how to turn on the washing machine and that the the washing doesn't magically appear (laughs) in your wardrobe nicely ironed and fresh there's a process Uh, i didn't have that kind of mum did you not All right, listen, Jill, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. You're most welcome. Okay, good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Jill Hines, and as I say, she is a parenting, uh, an education parenting consultant, but uh, the author, I love the name of her book, Later, and you can almost hear a young person saying that when you're asking them something. It's Later, and it's a guide to parenting a young adult. 0818103103. And, you know, listen, I appreciate and accept there are many people listening to this programme who will have, who as adults ha- are still staying uh, with their parents. They don't want to be staying with their parents. But unfortunately, we now, it's looking like we've got a generation who will never own their own uh, home. And we, the Irish tradition, have always loved the idea of owning our own property. And the cycle has all, the cycle of life has always been, you go to school, if you're lucky enough to go on to college or you get a job and you move out, you rent for a while and then you save up your money, you get your mortgage and, you know, that c- circle of life goes on. But unfortunately, there's a generation of young people who will never be able to afford their own homes with the way house prices are rising in this country. And it, but, and then, but it do, can and does cause conflict when you have adult children still living at home with their parents. Cork-based a voluntary group have just sent another cargo load of vital aid to Ukraine, much of which is destined to help vulnerable patients in psychiatric facilities survive what will be a freezing winter and much of it will be without electricity. John Gilroy is founder of the Glanmire-based group for Ukraine and John uh, joins me. Good morning to you, John. 
Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, can you describe to us what you witnessed um, your most recent trip to Ukraine? Are conditions getting pretty bad over there? They are, Patricia. Things are, are, are awful. Uh, we were over there at the end of September. Uh, we were delivering some vehicles to a hospital in, in, in Kiev. Um, when the war started, the military, of course, uh, took all four-wheel drives and jeeps uh, for the military effort, uh, including the jeeps from the hospital in Kiev. So they were unable to run their outpatient clinics, you know, and their community clinics. Um, so they asked us, could we source some vehicles for them? So we did, uh, in association with the Ukrainian community here in Cork. We managed to buy three jeeps. They're old jeeps now, but we've good friends in, in, in the automated service, and Great. they serviced them and, and made them run fairly well. So we shipped them out to Kiev or out to Krakow and we drove to Krakow or we flew to Krakow and drove to Kiev. So when we were there we visited um, as many uh, humanitarian organisations and hospitals and community groups as we could. Uh, I'm a former psychiatric nurse so I have a particular interest in mental health. So we visited um, a hospital in, in Kiev um, built in the Soviet era, fairly functional, um, you know, mass concrete. Even in September when the weather was good the place was fairly cold. And the director of the hospital told us um, that she's 800 patients there. Um, She told us that she's concerned not just for the welfare of her patients, but for the very lives of her patients as temperatures will reach about minus 20 in January. Now, Kiev is a modern European capital. If you were standing on the main street of Kiev, you might be in Paris or London or Dublin or, or Cork. And to think that people could actually die of the cold in this day and age, in a, modern, in a modern city, is an incredible thought. Yeah, and, and they get really, really severe uh, winters. And I know that the first falls of the winter snow has already uh, arrived uh, over there. And of course, they're battling now with electricity outages. They'll have about three hours electricity every day on a good day. That's what, that's what we're told. Um, all the all the electricity is generated centrally, you see, and hot water is generated centrally and pumped to homes and hospitals. So what the Russians have been doing has been, as we hear on the news, have been targeting this critical infrastructure and knocking out entire swathes of, um, of of electricity across large areas. So things are things are, are fairly terrible. I was in Poland uh, with with one of our partners. Um, I, I was a former politician, as you know. And when the war started, I, I, I knew some of my political contacts and an old friend of mine from a town called Mince Mezaveki, which is near Warsaw, uh, contacted me. He's the mayor there. And we ship our um, our um, aid to him, to his warehouse. He unloads it there and he sends it forward into Ukraine. But I was out there over the weekend uh, for a meeting with him and I flew into Maudlin, uh, which is west of Warsaw. And it was really cold, as you could imagine. But I travelled 100, 100 kilometres east and while it was cold in Maudlin, it was snowing 100 kilometres east. So you could imagine how cold it is 800 kilometres eastwards right, again. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah. It, it, and, and uh, you know, and I know in the past we've had things like the beast from the east. But I, hmm. I've, people will know I've in the past spent time in, in Belarus. Um, and when the snows come and they get into the height of the winter, it, 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 it's, it's hard to describe how yeah. cold it actually it actually is. It really is hard uh, to describe. And even when you're indoors, 
even with heating, as you say, all of their heating is, is centralised, so you're not even able to control uh, the heat. Yeah. You're still, you're cold into your bones. It's it's yeah. it's unreal. So you sent all the writings to try to keep these people warm, John. Well, yeah, what we're doing is we've sent only this week um, a lorry load of, um, of, of blankets and uh, warm clothes and, and school furniture, actually, because when we were in Kiev, we visited a town called Maradjonka, which is close to Kiev. It was one of the towns that was occupied by the Russians. And was wrecked, Patricia. And when they withdrew, they stole everything, including, could you believe it, the tiles off the floor in the school. What good could they possibly be? So I was over in Barajanka in September, and uh, I, I called to the school, and there was little kids doing their lessons sitting on cold concrete. It was just heartbreaking to see it. Um, so a principal of a school in Maynooth rang me, purely coincidentally, uh, and said that they have a new school and uh, they are um, disposing of the equipment from the old school that we want it. And we said, by God, we do. We'd love it. <laughs> we do, we would love it. So we sent a truck up and we, we spent for, for a day, maybe 10, 10 men up there and, and women, and we, we got 500 chairs and desks and whiteboards and blackboards and, and lockers and everything. So they're on board a lorry which arrived in Mesoveki on Monday. Uh, and there, that is en route to um, to Barajanka to get uh, re refurniture the school. That would make so such that, a difference. That would it just... would make a great difference. And on that consignment, there are blankets as well. Uh, now, we are sending a second consignment in the next two weeks. Um, and what we're looking for, what we have, we look for blankets. And we're also, importantly, looking for generators. And now, the, gen- the generators here are really important, uh, John, because the generators will give them electricity to be able to cook and will provide them with some uh, some heat, particularly yeah. when, with, cause, as you say, there's rolling electricity outages and then we don't know what the Russians are going to do next, so they could be without power for a number of uh, days. And you've already sent some generators, I believe. Some generators, yes, we have, um, which were very generously donated. But luckily for us, um, Ty Casey from Casey Tool Hard Air in Mallow. Has right come right next to us. us here at the radio station. Right next to us, yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, Ty, Ty um, um, I, I met him and I was explaining what, what, what was happening in, in, in Ukraine and he says, my God, we have to do something about this. So what Ty has done um, is, he, in partnership with us, he's offering a significant discount to any people that want to donate towards our organisation for generators or power tools or lighting or even things as simple as gloves. So anything that Tyke has in, in, in stock, he will offer you a discount if you want to purchase them and donate them to us uh, at For Ukraine. It's a fantastic, a fantastic generous offer from Tyke and his staff there and we're really appreciative of it. Okay, that's that. That is, that is really good. And you're still collecting blankets, you said, are you? We are. We are. We are sending a truck. Our next truck is scheduled to go after the 10th of December. Uh, we haven't... Oh, every, everyone involved in this is a volunteer, including our truck drivers. So um, we need two truck drivers each each time because truck drivers are uh, restricted to drive only 10 hours a day. So if you were to leave Cork and drive to Poland, that, that it, it's, a, it's a 20-hour drive from Cherbourg to, to Warsaw. And if you were to drive it in one go, it'd take you 20 hours. But because truck drivers can only drive for 10 hours a day, you it need takes to. Three, you yeah, need to. You, do, you do. You need to. Or yeah. it takes three days to get there and three days back. So, um, yeah, we're, we're collecting. We are collecting blankets. We're also, of course, obviously looking for a donation of money. Obviously, cash is king because um, money spent in, in Ukraine, it, it gets much more value than it does here in Ireland, as you can understand. But there are transport costs diesel and, you know, ferry charges. Just, uh, even though people are volunteers, there are significant costs involved in sending a truck to Poland. 
I'm, th- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of those patients in that psychiatric hospital, uh, John, eight, 800. And you think mm. of the staff who are trying to keep that hospital uh, going. I mean, the, the people in that hospital are having the hope of getting out and fleeing to yeah. another country. No, in, 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 the opposite, in fact. People from the, the reason there's so many patients in the hospital is built for 500, but about 300 patients from the war torn east of the country have been displaced over towards Kiev and they've been looked after in, in, in the existing hospitals which were at capacity. A lot of the staff, the male staff particularly, have been conscripted into the army and, and uh, the hospital hospitals understaffed at the best of times are under significant staffing pressures now. Um, the staff have taken to working 24-hour shifts, could you believe it, um, to try and maximise the amount of time that, that they can give on, in the hospitals. So, I mean, the conditions there, it's best described, I suppose, before the war, conditions in the mental hospitals were similar to where we were 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where we were. I started my career 40 years ago in Our Lady's Hospital and some of the similarities struck me uh, forcefully when I was there that look, this is this is where we were 40 years ago and the stripes that we've made it's unrecognisable of course now that the psychiatric cells are very good in Ireland but in Ukraine um, they need as much support as they can get and patients' lives yeah, and, are actually at risk And, and I know um, John we have a small and, and, and I do genuinely think it's a small proportion of Irish people who are critical of the number of refugees who are arriving here but from your experience you can really understand why people are fleeing in such huge numbers when you see what you've witnessed in their own country. Well, my own thought on this is that people who are critical of refugees don't know what they're talking about. If you saw what the conditions are like in, in all over Ukraine, I mean, you would embrace refugees, you know. Um, when we were there, I was just to give an example of, of the stress that people are living under, just a tiny example. Was when we were there, we were standing outside, I was standing outside a shopping centre in Busha, which is a suburb of Kiev, and it had been damaged badly by the Russians. But this was in September, and I was standing there outside, and I was just found myself looking up in the sky all the time, looking for missiles, you know. And I said to myself, gee, cop on, you know, this is pure paranoia. And when I looked around me, everybody, Patricia, was doing this unconsciously, sneering, glancing into the sky every 30 seconds. You know, this is low-level stress that, you know, imagine you'd say if a, if a bomb landed on top of yourself or myself, you know, you'd say that'd be one thing. But to be worried about your family and your elderly parents and your children, and even things as simple as that, um, uh, uh, is causing stress but the real thing is that nobody knows when a missile is going to land it's as simple as that and we've seen it we have friends that we made in Kiev who's, who are in constant contact with us who are living under absolute nightmarish conditions that every morning and this hasn't been reported in the western media every morning there's missiles at 8 o'clock at the rush hour been fired into the main cities of Kiev to cause minimum or maximum destruction and, and disruption for the ordinary citizens. They really, so, are, the, the, they really are the brave ones who, who yeah. stay, bef- stay behind and that's not taken but you can fully understand why, uh, particularly women with young uh, children, yeah. why, why they've left. It was, it was described to me as, this is, this, is, this is the way it was described as, could you imagine if you were told that the enemy were in Port Leash, Patricia, and they're heading to Mallow and when they get there they're going to kill you. Two hours away, what do you bring? Where do you go? And then you find yourself heading for somewhere like Ireland, where a lot of people in Ukraine never even heard of Ireland. It's, you don't speak the language, you've no money, you've no personal goods with you. You're totally dependent on, on, on the state that, that, that's receiving you for support. And 
Irish people, Irish people for 200 years have been going abroad and been looked after in other countries. I think the least we could do is, is open our, our doors and our arms uh, to, to people fleeing war-torn yeah, countries. And, and the stories of uh, torture now are coming out from the, the, from the particularly from the towns yeah. that the Ukrainians have uh, managed to get back yeah. from them, and they're horrific. They're absolutely torture, horrific. Ma- ma- mass killings, mass yeah, graves, absolutely dreadful, shocking stuff. Yeah. Dreadful. Yeah. Uh, John, uh, we leave it there. Good luck. You're doing fantastic uh, work. Stay safe and uh, thanks a million. If I, if, yeah. if, just if I may find if anyone wants to keep up to date with what we're doing, just visit our Facebook page for Ukraine, the number four Ukraine on Facebook and you'll be able to keep in contact. Okay, and let, let us know if we can be of any help to you with publicising anything else as well. Thanks for joining us, John. Thank you, Patricia. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. That is uh, John Gilmore, uh, Gilroy of 4, the number 4, 4 Ukraine. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your comments that came in during my interview with John Gilroy, who is part of that group in Glanmire, and they're bringing out generators, but they've already dropped off and they are continuing to drop off things like blankets and sleeping bags and duvets and winter coats to the people in Ukraine, particularly the people that are in like that um, psychiatric hospital that he spoke about the conditions there just must be uh, atrocious and it's going to get worse as the winter really sets in in Ukraine. Somebody's asking where can they drop off uh, blankets and somebody else uh, was saying, Colette was saying that she's actually collected pairs of crutches. She heard about it on the radio ages ago. Yeah, they were. There was crutches for Ukraine, wasn't it, at one stage? What I'd suggest you do is if you go on to the Facebook page that John has set up, his group is called For Ukraine. It's the number four and then Ukraine in a capital U K R A I N E. Go onto that Facebook page. No, I just quickly went onto it there when those texts came in, and I do know that they were collecting uh, blankets and warm coats and duvets uh, in various places. For example, they had collection points in Glanmire, Middleton, and Burnford in Cork, in, here in Cork, and then there was collections going on in other places around the country. And I know Mallow Search and Rescue. They were certainly collecting blankets and winter coats and duvets. I don't know if they're still collecting it or not. So there are local uh, collection points. But if you go on to the For Ukraine Facebook page, you should be able to send them a message and find out because I don't know what areas the people who are texting us about blankets, I don't know where you are, but you could find out where the actual collection points are. But thank you, uh, people being very, very generous in in their offers and and saying well done to John. It's incredible what his little group are doing, particularly I think with the generators. I think the generators are going to be so important. And thank you to Eddie who was on. We're asking people to keep a close eye on petrol prices and diesel prices. We've been doing this now for a while, particularly when they were getting higher and higher, but they really are steadily steadily starting now it might be slowly but they are coming down uh, Billy's in Bandon which always seems to do well when it comes to giving good prices on petrol and diesel this morning diesel 174.9 and petrol 159.9 I don't think we've seen it under the 160 mark in quite some time long may that continue I hear you cry. 0818103103 on uh, asylum seekers. Lawrence in Yall says, why can't the politicians simply come together and have a balanced conversation about this, about the numbers of people who are arriving into this country? Lawrence says, I can't get a place for my child in our local school because the local school is full. Our hospitals are overrun. Doctors in East Cork are under pressure. So when is enough enough? It's also unfair on people who are coming into this country for 
call refuge if we don't have the services that we need to provide for them. Lauren said he's not in any way racist. He doesn't in any way object to asylum seekers and people coming from Ukraine. But he says we need to have the services for all of the people. That includes the Irish people and the people that are coming into this country. We need to do more uh, for them. And Pat in Formoy, just on the St. Joseph's, the old convent in Formoy that now has been turned into this centre for asylum seekers who arrived this week. Passion it lives in Formoy, so he's, he knows this building. I'm not, I don't know the building and I, I don't know how bad, what condition it was in. But according to Pat, the building was a wreck about 12 months ago. And he said, yet it took private contractors to go in there, turn it around and set it up and get it ready for the refugees and they were able to do it in a very short period of time. Yet, says Pat, we have council houses that are lying idle and we're being told that there are not you know, workers to go in and do the work and yet when a building like that needed to be turned around very, very quickly, they were able to have the resources and the workers uh, to do it. We need to I suppose what Pat's saying is we need to put that same speed into turning around at council houses. And someone else says, Patricia, tell the people who are protesting in Formoy that they should hang their heads in shame. There but go there, but for the grace of God goes any one of uh, us. That's by WhatsApp to 0862. 103103 and then we were talking about adult children remaining at home and the conflict that it can cause and how you know listening to Jill the expert it's not good for either the parents are for the adult children if they remain in the house at too long some commentary in on that and in Mill Street makes a fair point she says children who grow up in on farms Many of those will stay at home and it's obviously of great help to the parents and it avoids the isolation for parents who would be otherwise living in a very rural uh, area. If a parent gets sick, then the adult child is around and they could be uh, looked after. So it isn't always a case that people want the child out the door. And in fairness, I, I think Jill would agree with you on that and has said there are circumstances where parents want their children to remain at home. But she's just saying for the for independent living for the young adult that the in the general scheme of things, they should be moving out and moving on and standing on their own two feet. But there will always be circumstances where people will remain uh, at home and farming communities for sure. But then you'll often see within, certainly over the generations, I don't, and I take it it's still happening today, if somebody was raised on a farm and is staying on, say, to continue farming and to take over from maybe uh, the parents, they'll often build a house close by the parents' house so they'll still have their own independence they'll still be they won't be living in the family home now that won't happen in all cases but it certainly does happen in a lot of cases somebody else says hi Trish our parents were great as soon as we got to 21 we knew we just knew that we had to fly the nest our mom said she'd done her job by then and as just an add-on when you're talking about family dynamics this is interesting this texter says I think Irish sisters are far worse than Irish mammies for being very possessive around their brothers and the spinster ones can be pure dragons. Oh, there's there's a discussion worth having. Sisters and their possessiveness towards their brothers and I take it that that's coming from the wife 
of the brother, the sister-in-law. If the sister is very possessive of the brother, she's not going to be very accepting then of the partner that the brother has chosen to be the wife. So do sister-in-laws not getting on there? And then a spinster, somebody, a woman who's never married, are they very possessive towards their brothers? Have others noticed that? I don't think I've ever had a discussion on that, but uh, we welcome your thoughts and comments. 0818103103, John Paul uh, taking your calls. And then I mentioned the the grey boom, and this is to do with life expectancy in Ireland. Life expectancy is increasing and it looks like it's going to keep increasing. They're now telling us that the average age for women in this country to live is to 84 and for men it is 81 and it's been called the so-called grey boom. It's All of this has come out from Health in Ireland Key Trends for 2022. Now much of the increase in life expectancy is due obviously to significant reductions in major causes of death, you know, things like cardiovascular disease and cancer. So people who would have got cardiovascular disease say in previous generations would more likely have died or if they got a particular type of cancer they would, you know, more likely they would be more likely to have died. But so people are surviving those illnesses that are still there, but they're surviving and living longer. So this report has highlighted the greying of Ireland is how they're co- how they're calling it and how this country is beginning to catch up with other European nations in terms of ageing. The population of those aged 65 and over has increased by 36 percent. Uh, since 2012 and it has been increasing at a faster rate than any of our other EU neighbours. The number of people in this age group is expected to almost double in the next 20 years and the greatest proportional increase is in those aged 85 and over. And then on the other end of the scale, we we did la- between 2020 and 2021 there was a slight increase in the number of live births but when you look back at the last 10 years we have had a reduction in the number of births over the last decade the fertility rate in Ireland is still the sixth highest in Europe and for last year counties Dublin Louds and ourselves in Cork we actually had the lowest fertility rates we had the lowest amount of per head of population uh, obviously of uh, new births so not as many young people not as many people are having babies yet on the other end of the scale people are living longer and last year 81% of men and and 81% of women all rated their health as good or very good and when you look at that question was asked across other EU countries it came out as the highest so the majority of men and women in this country were rating their health as good but the report did note that the higher income brackets tend to report better health than those in the lower income uh, groups and they look at things like cigarette and alcohol consumption that's fallen over the past decade however alcohol consumption has declined at a smaller rate than smoking but when you dig down into the figures that they give nine and a half litres of alcohol is what we consumed per head and that's based on revenue figures and obviously I can hear people say I don't drink nine and a half litres of alcohol but they divide it by the number of people in the country but they're saying that those official figures could actually be higher because those figures is just what revenue has taken in through excise 
service duties. So it's not taking in, you know, any alcohol, say, that people bought maybe when they were in holidays and brought it back with them into the state. There are the illegal imports of alcohol into the state. So they reckon that that figure could actually be uh, much higher. So the evidence now is there that the number of people aged 65 and over is going to grow. They reckon by one fifth to over a third of the working population over the next uh, two decades. So all the writing is on the wall. So now that they have all of that information, what we now need is for the government and future governments to make sure that because people are living longer, they know that we're going, you know, th- there's going to be an implication, obviously, on our health uh, service. Now, I know Stephen Donnelly was saying that they're investing record levels in healthcare and building capacity and expanding the workforce. And uh, that's driving um, positive change with all of our policies. But they need to really bring their A game on that because they can't in 20 years time say, oh, we didn't realise there was going to be that many people over the age of 65. The evidence is clearly there. And as I say, they're calling it a grey boom. Was that that prompted somebody to send in a text and I'm, I don't know what age group, but it's certainly somebody in the younger age group says, Grey Boom, what a joke. These are the group of people who ruined the environment, refused to retrofit their houses that they bought for between 20 and 30K on a 20 year mortgage. Now demanding that young people with no job security have to pay mortgages for on 30 to four. 300 to 400k for 30 years they're now demanding that they pay for the greys pensions what a joke if you want a fair discussion bring on an economist and ask them adjusting for inflation who had it worse the people in the 80s or the people now and I guarantee the grey won't like the answer and it's kind of that uh, that age old generational thing isn't it that every generation thinks they had it tougher than the previous or the previous generation think the younger generation have it easier okay I don't think you can blame the older generation who were buying houses for between 20 and 30k remember their wages pro rata they would have been paying a lot of money on their mortgages and they were the people in the 80s that you talk about and I know if I open the phone lines anyone in a mortgage during the 80, 80s will tell you that the interest rates they paid were were astronomical. Now that's not taken away from what mortgages are today and the price of houses today are with out of the reach of younger people and everybody's accepting that there will be a generation who will rent for the rest of their lives which is really really sad on a country where we've always prided ourselves in owning our own houses and it's almost in our psyche to own our own houses but I think you know pointing the finger of blame at the older generation I think is wrong and when when you say that that the younger generation are forced to pay the pensions of the older people that's the way economies and democracies work. I mean, every generation coming up works, you know, pays their taxes, pays their PRSI. And part of that is used to fund the pensions of older people. But likewise, and as I say, I don't know what age this person is who's, who's texted us. When you reach the age that you are 60, 65, 66, whatever age it is that the state pension uh, kicks in, it's the generation coming up behind that will be paying for your pension. And that's the way it goes. And that's why the worry in this country is with uh, the generation getting older and the people over age 65 expected to double in the next 20 years, we need to make sure that we have enough workers behind that generation to make sure that those pensions can be funded. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 
103. C103 Jobs. With the new Charleville Nursing Home. Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash careers. Senior accounts executive is required in the Bandon area. CVs, please, to dcolonan at uh, glasslinvets.ie. A qualified financial accountant is wanted to work in Clonakilty. CVs to Rostov Kelleher at guideandglobal.com Two cleaners are wanted in Mallow. The pay is 11.55 per hour. CVs to carry.murphy at osborne.ie And a carpenter is wanted for a maintenance job in the pharma sector. You must have your own tools and you need to have a craft card 087 1650527 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, the annual review of one in four shows that last year alone, the group supported 673 men and women who had experienced sexual abuse in childhood, as well as 65 men who had caused sexual harm to children. To discuss the work of one in four, I'm joined by their CEO, and that's Maeve Lewis. Good morning to you, Maeve. Good morning, Patricia. Great to talk to you. Do you still believe that child sexual abuse is underreported and also under-acknowledged? Oh, absolutely, Patricia. And I think the events of the past number of weeks since the disclosures of abuse in schools run by dispersion order um, would absolutely support that view. We have been inundated with calls from men, um, mainly in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even older, who were abused many years ago in school and are making a disclosure for the first time. Um, I think that shows how difficult it can be for a child to tell when abuse is happening, but also for people when they move into adulthood um, and, and you know, don't actually tell anybody what has happened to them. And, and those people, you know, coming forward in, in their 40s and 50s, would that have been their first time ever talking about it to somebody? For many of the people who have contacted us in the past three weeks, that, that absolutely is the case. And uh, Patricia, it's heartbreaking because they're describing to us the impact the sexual abuse has had on their lives um, the impact it's had on their marriages, uh, on their um, you know professional careers, on their parenting, um, and it, you know they never felt they could tell. Do they say why they they felt they couldn't tell? Well, I think one factor really is that for many people who've been sexually abused, they believe they are the only person to whom this has yeah. ever happened, and they're paralysed by a sense of personal shame. They fear they will be disbelieved. And, I mean, about half our clients have been abused in their own families. And for these survivors, they are often afraid that they will actually be ostracised by their families if they make a disclosure. God, that's very sad, isn't it? It really is tragic. We've also had some very upsetting calls from family members of people who were abused in Blackrock, whose brothers or sons went on to, um, you know... 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Addictions, alcoholism, um, who died prematurely as a result, and in some cases um, took their own lives. And their loved ones are now wondering, was that their son, their brother, sexually abused and was that at the root of all the difficulties oh, that's really that's very traumatic on, on family members who who live with those questions for the rest of their lives because I, I did hear one uh, one woman whose brother um, committed suicide and he'd been sexually abused in Rockwell College and you know to hear her talk about every time she drives by the college she just wants to ram her car into the gate and you could just it was just heartbreaking just heartbreaking and then those that are brave enough and I really say brave enough uh, to go to court that experience Maeve can in many cases just be re-traumatising Oh very much so now I would have to say that in the past number of years um, particularly since the Belfast rape trial, which you'll probably remember, yeah. a review of the criminal justice system was was done um, here by um, an academic in, in University College Galway. And in fairness to the Department of Justice, they have put huge effort into looking at the victim's journey through the criminal justice system. Um, so the Gordi now have special protective service units in every area of the country. And there has been... Uh, real efforts to make the criminal trial itself more victim-focused and more trauma-informed. But unfortunately, with historic cases, the there is no forensic ev- evidence because the events took place so long ago. Uh, so everything hinges on the credibility of the evidence given by the victim. 
And of course, the task of a good defence barrister is to try and undermine that credibility, mm. often by using uh, maybe life choices that the person has made, which are probably due to the impact of the sexual abuse. For example, if they've been involved with mental health services, if they have developed an addiction, so to try and make the person seem unreliable. So our clients still tell us how uh, distressing, how dehumanising and humiliating indeed the the experience can be. But nonetheless, people do go forward. And just this past week, we've been supporting three different clients in the Central Criminal Court and in the um, uh, Circuit Criminal Court where there have been convictions. And that is really um, wonderful. I had an email last night from one of the clients who said after her abuser was found guilty uh, just yesterday to say that um, she woke up this morning, or sorry, he was convicted on Wednesday, so that she woke up yesterday morning for the first time with a feeling of lightness and freedom that she'd never experienced before in her life because there was public acknowledgement this had happened to her. So, I mean, that that is really... It just makes it worthwhile yeah, for yeah. us. And if you want people who witnessed past abuse uh, to speak out, why do you feel that's so important? You know, I really feel the onus shouldn't always be on the survivors to take that very brave step, as you've said, to, to reach out or to speak out. I mean, where are all the people, the bystanders, who must have known or who must know, perhaps, today, that something is wrong, that they have a concern. But what stops us from 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 naming what has happened? And I mean, what is extraordinary is that if we take the case of the private boarding schools, I mean, all the children must have known what was going on or suspected what was going on. And as they grew up, what has prevented them from naming what was happening? Mm. I mean, is it loyalty to the school? loyalty to their fellow pupils I, I, I don't know yeah, because so many have come forward and you know openly said particularly with some of the names from the from, from Blackrock College uh, you know and other boys who hadn't been abused but you know said oh you knew not to end up on a, in, in a room on your own with that particular priest exactly so, yeah yeah, and and waiting lists, uh, Maeve. I mean, I know I think it was last year you at one and four you had to close your waiting list for a period of of time. W- where are you at with waiting lists for for people who desperately need your help? That is the perennial problem, Patricia. And you know, w- we were managing our waiting list, and we got some funding last year from Tuslet to employ a waiting list case manager who can provide crisis support and intervention to people who call us. And up to Monday of that, when that documentary was uh, went out on air, we had 45 people on our waiting list for psychotherapy and no waiting list for our advocacy service. But as of this morning, we now have something like 95 people on the waiting list for psychotherapy and um, with loads more calls continuing to it's, come in. Yeah, it's just whatever it is, it has just opened a can of worms, thankfully, because it's allowing people to say, yes, that happened to me. Yeah, and it just shows the power of the media when they cover uh, stories about abuse and when 
survivors will publicly speak about it, I mean, that really encourages other people to come forward. So, I mean, I'm hoping this might be a turning point that as a society, we really begin to question why is sexual abuse so pervasive? Why are so many children harmed? And I also hope like about 75% of our funding comes from statutory services and the rest we have to do for fundraising. If I might mention, we have a lovely secret art option going on at the moment on our website. Okay. So if anybody is looking to buy a nice Christmas present, um, that that would that might be something to do to support us. But I really hope this might wake up the statutory funders that all the sexual violence centres are under-resourced and that we need to create timely, accessible expert services to help people who've been so badly hurt to to move into that journey of recovery. And for anybody listening, uh, Maeve, who was sexually abused as as a child, and as you've said, because you've spoken with people who've never spoken out before, what would you say to them to to in order to reach out to get help? Look, I would say to 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 reach to, to take that step and reach out. There is a 24-hour helpline run by the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. They can contact one in four or their local rape, rape crisis centre, uh, for example, the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork City, which has been there for, I don't know, 40 years now. Yeah, yeah. Mary, um, Mary Crilly's group, they're brilliant. Mary yeah. Crilly exactly has been flying that flag for many years. Uh, so th- there is help there. Um, but also maybe to take the risk to speak to your husband or your wife to speak to close friends or other family members because I think people will be surprised at the understanding and support that can be there in their own social circles as well as the expert services. And you have nothing to be ashamed of? Absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. The shame rests with the person who took advantage of your innocence and your naivety and your vulnerability when you were a child. Okay, and just seeing as we've mentioned the the Spiritons and Blackrock College and 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 Rockwell College, it, a public inquiry is is that what is needed? And if so, does it need to be extended to cover all religious orders that ran schools? Well, we have calls from uh, people who attended Jesuit schools, Vincentian schools, Dominican schools as well as the Spurgeons, and there are others too. And of course, we're always in contact with uh, men who attended Christian Brothers schools. So we're meeting um, Minister for Education, Norma Foley, in the coming days. And our message to her will be that it would really be a missed opportunity just to focus on the spirit and order. There needs to be an overarching inquiry into how so many children are abused in schools, which ultimately, even if they are fee-paying, are supported by the state. Because it's our tax money are paying the sal- the teacher salaries and so on in those schools. So the state has a responsibility to understand what happened and maybe what continues to happen and to uh, take steps to ensure that our children are safe when they go to school. Okay. Listen, you're doing uh, fantastic work and one in four dot ie it's it's o n e uh, in and then four f o u r one in four dot ie and go onto the website because they can see the the your art uh, 
your secret art sale is up there online as well. Yeah, it's it's lovely. Little Christmas present. Absolutely. Listen, happy Christmas to you, Maeve. Many happy returns, Patricia, and, and to all your listeners. And no doubt we'll speak again in the, the, the new year. God bless. Look after yourself. Uh, take care. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning. Well, good morning. Maeve Lewis, CEO of One and Four and the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. Uh, their number is 1-800-496-496. 1-800-496-496. And congratulations to Joan Curtin in Canturk. Joan heard our cue to call on our free panther Friday today and Joan has won for herself a family pass to go along to the Everyman to see Cork's traditional pantomime, which this year is Cinderella and it is running until the 15th of January. We are rolling through a free Panto Friday all day today. Some more of those tickets to give away in the next hour. Now, Ireland's Teddy Bear Hospital, which treats bears from a few years old right up to over 100 years old, is now looking for an intern bear surgeon as the chief bear surgeon. Anka Morganroth is nearing retirement. And I'm delighted to say that Anka takes time out to join us this morning. Good morning to Anka. Uh, good morning. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Now, you're not just the head bear surgeon, but you're also the owner of the Teddy Bear Hospital. Take me back. When and why did you set it up? Well, look, uh, uh, my business started in 2000 at Bear Essentials. So I was designing teddy bears myself and opened a, a teddy bear shop here at our premises. So after four years, uh, uh, customers came to me and asked me, can you repair my bear as well? So the ideas actually came from customers just uh, requesting repairs. And what if um, a, a little... So, OK, so, so what happens? You're based in County Cavan. Do bears yes. come from all over the country? I tell you, bears not just come from all over the country. They come from all over the world. <laughs> so... <laughs> We have bears uh, from uh, repaired from Singapore, from South Africa, Belgium, Spain, uh, USA. I mean, from a lot of different countries. So if somebody has a bear that needs repairing, they obviously want email you photographs so you can work out if you're able to work on it or not. Is that how it works? Yes, it's quite a long process because it's a very personal service as well. So people contact us usually through the website, bearessentials.ie. They fill in their details and they upload a photograph as well. And then the process is going to start. And then they'll post the bear, you'll sort it out and then post it back. Yeah. yeah okay. Some people, of course, from other countries would post it. But we have a lot of people actually who bring the bear in when they're in, in, on holiday in the area or they come specially down from Dublin to see us because they, they don't trust the service <laughs> that the bear will arrive with us. Because okay. <laughs> I'm also thinking of, you know, you'll have children who uh, won't sleep without a much-loved yeah. and favourite teddy bear. Yeah. Do, do you offer emergency treatment if you can do we, it? <laughs> we do, yeah. So that would mean uh, they have to be booked in to a certain day and usually the kids would come with the parents and leave the bear in the morning and then we have have the bear ready to go home in the evening. Do some of the older bears arrive in very bad condition, Anka? Yeah, look, you can imagine if you get a teddy bear which is 80, 90, 100 years old, he will have holes, he will have broken joints. But the worst is if all the mohair is gone and he looks quite naked, you see. 
And that means that the whole bear might be overthrown again with new mohair. So how long does it take to repair a teddy bear? Oh, my God. It can can take from an hour to a few days. Particularly some of the... And, and I take it from listening to you, is it the older ones that you really love to work on? Yeah, we do. It has a lot to do... I grew up with this life teddy bear tradition in Germany and then I started to design bears. So I, I love bears who have movable arms and heads and those are the old mohair bears and they're much better for repair. And do you get some very personal e- emails about the bears and what the bear means to a person or perhaps somebody has passed away and this is, you know, maybe a much-loved bear that's passed down through the generations? Ab- absolutely. You can imagine, especially during COVID time, uh, so many people lost loved ones. It could have been parents, an aunt or a brother. And sometimes the teddy bear is all they have left from that relation. So, yeah, we we have a lot of stories uh, from people uh, which are very personal and very emotional as well. So you're now thinking about your own uh, future and that you might <laughs> like to take it a little bit easy and have a little bit of a retirement. What what skill sets does an intern bear surgeon need? Look, if you are able to make your own bear, which means you're able to design it, to cut it out, to sew it, to put joints together, to be able to embroider the face, put eyes in, then you are able actually to repair those old bears as well. But you really have to start from uh, from starting making a bear to feel how what you have to do on the reverse side, you see, when you just maybe have to exchange parts. And I'm looking on your website, you've got some of the most gorgeous, absolutely adorable teddy bears. What are the most popular? Oh, the most popular. Look, I mean, I design uh, Irish bears like we have our own Irish brand and it can just be bought through our website. We don't do any wholesale. So our Irish Irish bears, uh, they usually go out to America and to Australia and uh, somewhere else in Europe. But very popular are the the German stifed teddy bears as well. Are they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're just. And are we? I mean, Germany really has a tradition of uh, teddy bears. Do we have a teddy bear culture? Do you think here in Ireland? I I think uh, there is a culture growing. But uh, when I started out twenty two years ago, I heard from a lot of customers that they never have been given a teddy bear as a child. Or if they have to give them a teddy bear, it was maybe the mum or the granny who made a bear out, maybe out of old sex or old material, you say. Yeah. So in Germany, it's a very long tradition to give a, a teddy bear to a newborn baby or even to adults or people who are 18 or 21. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a tradition. But then... The first ever teddy bear was made in Germany, That's right. so it's no That's, wonder. You yeah, say. yeah. Do you do you you do you personally have a teddy bear that you had from when you were a child? Yeah. Do you? Look, the funny thing is, I I have my old teddy bear. He actually sits here in the glass cabinet, <laughs> and he he buries he he badly needs restoration, but I don't <laughs> like to touch them. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're you're afraid of repairing your own there for, for fear for fear you might do something wrong with it. Listen, I've I've really uh, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Your website is bearessentials.ie. Uh, you just have the most beautiful array of uh, teddy bears. I could I could be looking at them uh, all day long. A good continue. Good luck to your work at the Teddy Bear Hospital. And I really do hope that you find an intern uh, who will keep this wonderful tradition uh, going. But thanks for joining us on the program today. Thank, thank you so much for having me and have a wonderful day. Uh, and happy Christmas to you. <laughs> bye bye. I imagine busy, busy time for Bear Essentials. That's Anka Morganroth of the Teddy Bear Hospital. As I say, they, she, they are based in County Cavan. Bearessentials.ie if you want to take a look at our teddy bears. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we are giving away super value gift cards here at C103 with our C103's Christmas coverage. Your chance to win every weekday a 500 euro uh, voucher. Now, yesterday we were playing the bells, the Christmas bells at nine o'clock, two o'clock and five o'clock, which we're doing every day, every weekday. You need to count them, add them up. And when the fifth, the third set of bells are rung at five, that's when you text or WhatsApp in to Martina on drive time. And then you wait around for Martina to give you a call. And yesterday it was the turn of Paula McGrorty uh, from Bantir. And Martina started by asking her, how is her day going? It is. Hi, Martina. <laughs> Hi, Paula. Hi. So your day's been going well so far? Yes, it's been busy. Right. Are you getting ready for all the Christmas preparations and all that? Oh, we are indeed. Um, three small ones. They're looking forward to Christmas. Oh, yeah. It's what Christmas is all about, really, isn't oh, it, for the small ones? Sure, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay, now I would like to make your day even better than it has been going maybe already. You Very know. good. We want to put the icing on the cake for you, so to speak. <laughs> is there a super value anywhere near you by any chance? Um, I suppose our closest one is Centaurk. Yeah, and you would you go up there for shopping? Yeah, we do do. <laughs> uh, a a five hundred euro gift card could be going your way if you just tell me officially right now how many Christmas bells did you hear today? We heard twelve bells. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was twelve bells. Paula, congratulations. Thanks a million. The That's price. brilliant, Martina. Are you the person doing the cooking for Christmas and all that kind of thing? Usually my, we kind of do it together. My husband does the, the turkey and I do the vegetables. Good. That's good but to share yeah, it all out. We do. <laughs> you, you can go shopping together now too and pick all, all the exactly. nice bits. <laughs> That's it. Thanks very much for listening Thanks to so C103. Much, well done. Paula McGorty in Bantier, our latest winner. The C103's Christmas covered with super value gift cards. They're perfect for everyone. Every occasion they're available in store or online for e-gift cards that can be sent with a personal message. You search Super Value Gift Card and keep listening today. Hopefully you've made a note of the nine o'clock number of bells that were rung. Two o'clock with Nick and then again with Martina at five and then get texting or WhatsApping. That's Christmas covered only on C103. Now let me go to uh, some of your commentary coming into the programme this morning. Firstly, somebody was on earlier asking, did we know what the arrangements were for on post and with the delivery of letters and would letters be delivered on Christmas Eve? Firstly, on the post offices, the post offices will have normal opening hours on Friday the 23rd and then on Christmas Eve, post offices will be open between 9am and 1. On the post uh, deliveries, there will be no 
Snow Nail Delivered art collection from Christmas Eve, December the 24th until December the 28th with mail delivery and collection services then returning to normal on the 29th of December. So no, there won't be post on Christmas Eve this year because of course Christmas Eve falls on a Saturday and while we're talking of postmen and postwomen who are working flat out at the moment busiest time for the year for them I got in a lovely request in to say would you say a very special request today for Bill Ray who is celebrating his birthday but he's also celebrating his retirement from on post after 34 years years of service. As we speak, I'm told Bill is doing his final on-post rounds in the village of Kilbrin, Castle Magnor and Cecil's town. So if anyone comes across Bill today, first of all, wish him a happy birthday, but wish him a happy and a healthy retirement as well. And the message says uh, that Bill really deserves his retirement. Hope he enjoys the celebration. It comes in from his three sisters, that's Helen, Marie and Anne and all of the extended family. So congratulations, Bill Ray, on his final day as a postman Uh, and listen enjoy the retirement bill and thank you uh, to the girls for sending that in to me now also just to update you traffic delays heading towards the Jack Lynch tunnel I'm told the traffic is backed up to the Douglas turnoff and I take it that's got to do with uh, people are doing their Christmas shopping etc and then Helen this is from yesterday's show Helen joined us yesterday she's living in a council house I'm just not sure where I didn't I forgot to, I didn't even ask Helen where it is anyway she was on to us yesterday because the the heating wasn't working in her council house and she was there with her children and uh, they were the last two weekends they've had no heating she's been on to the council something's wrong with the boiler she doesn't know she thinks it might need replace replacing but certainly it needs repairing it's just not the it's a gas boiler it's just not firing so anyway we got onto the council on Helen's behalf and we got back onto her this morning to say she still doesn't have any heating doesn't look like she's going to have any heating as she's heading into her third weekend uh, without heating now she said a person did call to repair the boiler but they said sorry I'm waiting on a part for the boiler now John Paul has got back onto the council again to see if there's anything can can be done to speed up the heating situation for Helen bearing in mind that even I mentioned it on the weather forecast there we're heading into a bitterly cold weekend temperatures are really starting to drop this week this weekend so it's going to be really difficult uh, for Helen and her children so just to give you that update earlier we somebody was talking about or we were talking about the adult children living at home and that prompted somebody to say about how sisters can be very possessive of their brothers and that they can be as interfering as any parents can be and particularly if there's a spinster sister they can be very possessive of their brothers well that caused a number of people to contact us Joanne says absolutely agree with that statement I was going out with a guy we were getting on famously but it was his sisters who kept interfering in our relationship and asking all kinds of questions telling him that he needs to do X Y and Z and we need to be doing this and that it all just got too much for me said Joanne in the end and we broke up I don't think people I think people need to let other people live their own lives but Joanne directly attributes the interference from this guy sister 
what broke up their relationship. And Dermot uh, is saying the same thing, but he he says it also works not just possessive sisters of their brothers. It can work possessive sisters being possessive about their sisters as well. He remembers going out with the girl for a few years and she had two other sisters. Now, two other sisters were both married and they kept interfering in their relationship, even down to when first they announced to Dermot and the girlfriend announced that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Within a month, the sisters were pushing pressure on him, saying, you need to make it official, you need to put a ring on it. He said he kept ignoring the questions, but they were being thrown at him. It went on for a few years, constantly asking questions, constantly trying to find out what they're up to, where are they going, where did you have dinner, where did you go last weekend? And Dermot said, look, to be honest, it just simply got too much for him and uh, the interfering just didn't ease up and he broke up with that girlfriend because of the interference from the sisters. So he wants to make the point that sisters don't just interfere in their brother's lives. Some, not all, some sisters will also interfere in their sisters' lives as well. 0818 Patricia, would you please tell the person who rang in to say that those that were protesting in Fomoy outside the uh, convent where the asylum seekers are should hang their heads in shame. This texter says, we've been hanging our heads in shame for years because of the homeless situation in Ireland. How come the government can get a place like the old convent in Fomoy all done up in a very short period of time for non-nationals and they can't do the same for the homeless Irish. Once again, Patricia, we Irish are not being treated well and I'm ashamed to be Irish, said this texter. Most of the refugees will have a better way of life than some of the Irish. They'll have free food, free electricity and God knows what else. The Irish people need to wake up. We need to look after our own first and that's signed a Formoy and an Irish citizen. But then Mike in Bantry is talking about how, how we as Irish over the years have always emigrated. Mike says, I went to Australia when I was 18. God, you're very young, Mike, to be heading off. I worked on the building sites as a builder's labourer. I had a good life in Ireland, but I never regretted going to Australia. Yeah, and there continues to be people today. That some are feel they're being forced because they can't buy houses, but there will always be. We That's... I think every generation we will always have Irish people who will go abroad. We seem to have a yearning to want to live abroad and work abroad for a period of time. But then we all like to come back as well. 0818103103 on sisters and brothers interfering. Absolutely agree with that statement. I've seen it uh, with my own daughters. My own daughters are very possessive of their brother. Isn't that interesting? And someone says, Hi Patricia, could you find out if the boiled water notice is still on in McCroom? We got onto Irish Water and they tell us update on the water in McCroom. Irish Water confirmed that it remains in place. So boil water notice for the people of uh, McCroom. And here's something that a lot of people might be interested in and you might learn and you might save yourself some money. Sheila, one of our regular listeners, says, Patricia, for years and years and years, my phone bill has always been around the €190 every two months. But I heard yesterday that I should be able to get it much cheaper. So I decided to ring up Air, who are my provider. Very nice lady, spoke to me, sorted it all out over the phone. And now I'll be getting my phone for only €40 per month. It really does pay to keep an eye on things because they won't tell you. You need to check it all out yourself. Yeah, and that goes back to, that's the switching, you know, we talk about now you didn't even have to switch you've stayed with the same provider we're always doing that with elect- we're always advising people when it comes to things like electricity when it comes to things like your phone when it comes to health insurance your house insurance anything like that 
gone are the days where you're loyal or should be loyal to a, uh, to a company because they don't pay for loyalty. They certainly do not pay for customers who stayed with, with them for years and years and years. So whenever we've, you know, things like the group like bonkers.ie or whenever we have total healthcare on the programme, the advice every year is you'll sign a one-year contract, make a note of it, write it somewhere on famously I put it over my calendar so that you'll see when the contract is due up and then start shopping around again and keep shopping around and by shopping around because all of the companies are always offering all of the best deals to new customers and there's you know within your right every year when your contract is up and you certainly money can be saved on phone bills and electricity bills and on gas bills by changing every year so good to know Good to know, Sheila, that you saved yourself. That money is better off in your pocket than sending it off to the phone provider. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Balancholic Parish are fundraising to supply generators for a town in Ukraine and they're holding a cake sale. It's on until one o'clock this morning in Balancholic Community Hall with all proceeds going towards the purchase of generators, similar to what we spoke about earlier with John. Kildallery Home Books are on sale in Kildallery in the Community Office, the Post Office Centre and Myers Maxall in Mitchellstown. Full houses worth €50 and the Snowball Prize €1,700 this uh, week. Chapel Hill School of Art and McCroom are presenting Technical Art. It's an exhibition from the technical staff of Crawford College of Art and Design. The exhibition runs from today until the 16th of December. Band and Branch of St Vincent Paul are asking for personal requests to be submitted to them by next Thursday. You can submit your name, address and phone number to the band and shop or place it in the box in the church. Social dancing in the Marion Hall in Ban and Hasek tonight, half nine to half twelve. Admission ten euro, including teas. Bingo is on in Mallow GAA Complex, eight fifteen. It's also on in Kildallery in the store at the Creamery uh, Yard at eight o'clock. And O'Hallow Vintage Club are holding a fundraising coffee morning in aid of Tim Joe Foley in Fremont in the Highland Inner Market next Sunday from 10.30 to 2. All are welcome to join and support what is a very, very worthy cause. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cinderella, it opens at the Everyman tomorrow, Saturday, but our reporter, Mairead Tuig, popped into rehearsals this week to meet some of the cast and crew of what is going to be an unreal panto. There's just one sleep left until the panto returns to the Everyman. Catherine Mahan-Buckley is producer and director of the Everyman and Cada Cinderella. I call this week the cake that we now have to mix. So it's all the ingredients and you put it together and you hope you're going to release the best cake ever. This time last year was a much different scene. Last year, I used to have to wait until half past eight in the morning for the stage director to come or text me and say, all is okay. I knew we could do the shows that day. I didn't know whether we could do them the following day. It's a, it was very hard living in that unpredictable world. But at least this year, 
It's lovely to think that we don't have masks and that everybody's much more relaxed. Cinderella runs at the McCurtain Street venue until Sunday, January 15th. Podrick de Fusco is making his panto and professional debut as Prince William. It's really exciting and to be able to work with the cast that I'm working with is, is mad Like and everyone's so welcoming and uh, being from Waterford, I'm a Waterford man so uh, I feel like I've been welcomed into the, the Cork Panto family and uh, playing the prince is great because um, again like Michael said he's, he's not your typical prince like uh, he's a bit of a rocker, he likes rock music and he, he kind of, he, he wants to rebel a little bit and uh, Alfred's there to keep him on the straight and narrow Michael Sands is Alfred For a lot of these kids it's the first time they've ever seen live entertainment, and particularly with that thing that we don't want to mention anymore, it's their first time coming in and their first time being around other smallies and then encouraged to interact with us. And they, they have an influence in the story. That's, it's so live to them, and it's actual real life to them. So that has its own onus, and that then brings its own adrenaline, you know? Glenn Myers' Shiva Marin is fairy godmother, and while her character is making dreams come true for Cinders, bagging this role is a dream come true for Shiva. I've always grown up watching all of, um, loads of other people play principal parts, and this year, getting it being my turn, I was just so honoured to have gotten the part. Jessica O'Shea is in the ensemble and has been really enjoying the build-up to opening day. We're constantly having loads of fun during the rehearsals, you know, um, all different types of things going on in the rehearsals, dancing, acting, singing, so a nice variety. And yeah, it's really enjoyable. This is Kellyanne Healy's second year choreographing the entire panto. What I suppose for me this year is probably my favourite because I missed the kids a lot last year due to Covid um, but they're back this year and they're absolutely amazing and it's lovely to be able to choreograph them and the ensemble and everyone else. Cinderella is my favourite panto, um, it's just so magical. As Jess said there's a lot of audience participation, there's loads of song, dance, there's pop songs that you know young kids will recognise, of course there's their favourite thrown in, I won't ruin it. <laughs> so yeah there's a bit for everyone, moms, dads, oh, anyone. I also wanted to find out from the cast if they had any pre-show rituals. I like to have a shower before every show. I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. I don't know. It's just kind of one of these things. Um, everybody has their own thing. I like to brush my teeth. Uh, that's, a, that's a start. That's, know. <laughs> that's a start. Um, just kind of a vocal warm-up and yeah, just look after yourself and keep, keep healthy. <laughs> Making sure like, I drink loads of water throughout the day before a show like getting your makeup on, getting your hair done. Um, yeah, maybe just brushing your teeth as well before going on. Um, yeah, really, just kind of little things like that. This year's Panto at the Everyman Cinderella opens tomorrow. Oh, yes, it does. Thanks, Mauritius. <laughs> she had great fun at that. And can we wish good luck uh, to uh, the wonderful Catherine Mahan Buckley and everybody involved with the pantomime in uh, Everyman with Cinderella. It sounds like it is going to be an absolute hoot. And do we have our winner for this hour? We do. And it is Michelle McHale from Mallow. Congratulations, Michelle McHale from Mallow. You have won for yourself a family pass to go along and see Cinderella live at the Everyman on our our free panto Friday which we continue with throughout the day so Nick and Martina have more of those tickets to give away right throughout the uh, day 0818 the HSE has been called on to appoint a temporary doctor for Blarney pending the appointment of a permanent replacement GP it's Sinn Féin uh, Deputy Thomas Gould who is making that call and uh, he joins me good morning to you Thomas 
Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Good now, afternoon. Sorry. It is the afternoon, indeed. You're right. Now, we know one of the local GPs, Dr. Una, is uh, going to retire. What are the HSE currently saying they're going to put in place for the patients that normally attend Dr. Una? Well, you see, the HSE have said they're putting a service in place. But when we look further into it, it turns out the service knows all the medical care patients are being sent to Ballin College. And a lot of the private patients, but not all of them, are being sent to different GPs and balanced colleagues. Now, uh, to me, that's not uh, acceptable. Uh, it's like there's no direct link between Blarney and balanced colleagues, but if there's no bus, you'd have to get the bus into the city and out, which will take over an hour. So, so for people relying on public transport, that would yeah. be a nightmare. Well, like, I, I just. I just looked at it again this morning. It takes an hour to get from Blarney into town and out to Ballinacolly. And that's if everything runs bang on time. Uh, where you'd have to go there early and you'd have to allow town time then to get from the bus stop to the GP. You could be three hours, if not more, out trying to get to a GP. How many and patients are in this practice? There, there's uh, almost 2,000 patients between private and medical care. Under the responsibility of one doctor? Yes. Well, the situation in Blarney and the situation with a lot of GP services is that they're, um, they're under tremendous pressure. They have, they have too many patients. Like, I was out in Blarney last week and I met with two people. I met with one lady uh, who's living in Blarney now. Uh, she has to travel to Ballinhaffey to see a GP. So she's pregnant and she can't get a GP in the Blarney Tower area. And, so and, and, and there is there is another GP practice, but they're full to new patients. They're full. Yeah. And so. To be fair to them, they're full to the brim. And what we're looking for, Patricia, what I've spoken to the HSE about, and I actually raised it with the Taoiseach and Michael McGrath and Indy Doyle on Wednesday, was the HSE should put a locum in place. They should keep the current uh, uh, practice open, retain the staff, the nurse, the, um, uh, the administration staff, and put a locum in place until someone is appointed. Now, Doctor, Doctor Una gave them. I think it was two months' notice. Um, three have, months. Three months. Okay. Uh, has the HSE advertised the post, and have they had offers? They haven't advertised the post formally yet. No, they said they have been negotiating with some GPs, but to me, this should have went up the week they got that notification. That should have went out and to notify the doctors. Like Blarney, one time. And I spoke to a retired doctor last Saturday at our meeting, we had a public meeting, and there was a, a retired doctor from Blarney there, and he said one time GPs would have been queuing up to get into Blarney, but that there are such shortages of GPs at the moment, and GP business uh, practices are being run as a business. And a lot of GPs don't want the pressure and the stress of having to hire administration staff, renting the building, getting nurses, getting other people in, like in, in, in England, uh, a lot of GPs are, are uh, hired by the, HS, the NHS and they work for the NHS and they'll just have to concentrate then on medicine and looking after their patients. Yeah, but we, we, we have a different system here. We don't have an, an, an NHS system here. When you were saying a point a locum, in the HSE's defence, will they come back and say locums are really impossible to find? We have an issue. This isn't, I mean, at the mo this is raising its ugly head in Blarney, but it's going to 
raise its ugly head in other parts of Cork City and County and indeed further afield, we are not training enough GPs. No, the, the problem is, well, uh, there was a report this year that 450 GPs will leave the country this year or, or already have left. Yeah, because, because, of the, because of the workload. Yes, yes. But the problem is catch-22. The, the, the more that leaves, the worse the workload and the bigger the workload gets. Where if you give if you give GPs uh, a proper workload with the right terms and conditions, you retain them. But uh, Patricia, I, I put it this way, right? What we are saying is we need a doctor in there, and I've spoken to GPs who are willing to provide a temporary service in Blarney, keep the clinic open, but the HSC are saying no, they're going to send them out to Ballin Colleague and they'll send them to other places. To me, that doesn't make sense. And, 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 and would your instinct tell you the reason the HSC are saying that is that they're fearful they won't be able to get somebody to take over the practice, so they might as well disband the practice now and put the patients elsewhere? Well, I, I actually know of GPs who are interested in this, but I have to be formally advertised, yes. It, it's just the whole bureaucracy of the system. What I'm trying to say now is that the HSE, and we have a meeting in the afternoon with the HSE management of Cock and Curry for TDs and senators and MEPs, is what, what I'm saying is now is let's cut the red tape, let's put a GP out there temporarily until we can find a full-time GP, let's keep the clinic open, let's keep the staff. And they, Patricia, this isn't me. This is the people of Blarney saying this. And a lot of these people are older people or people who are vulnerable or who might have long-term illnesses. And they, when they're being told they have to go to Ballin College, it's just too well, fair. Yeah, and, and particularly when you say that when there isn't a direct bus route. OK, tell me about your holding it. Is it a vigil you're calling it tomorrow? Yes, well, today, it's actually on today at today. 1 o'clock. I'm, I'm going out there now. And it's outside the Ashdale uh, Medical Centre. Now, we've done it at lunchtime, so we won't interfere with the doctor or the patient. So that's the reason we've done it. And a number of, I suppose, there's a number of people after coming together to save the GP services campaign in Blarney and to hold an vigil out there for 30 minutes between one and okay. half past. And right. if anyone is alone, maybe they call in and just show their support. OK, keep us informed, uh, Thomas. Thanks for that. Thank you, Patricia. Good afternoon to you. That is uh, Sinn Féin, uh, Dáil Deputy Thomas uh, Gould. And actually talking of uh, vigils there and protests the Save Our Child and Family uh, Centre that we spoke about earlier on in the week. This is the one from Coaction and Coaction are changing the Child and Family Centre and putting it into a residential uh, unit for some of their uh, residents and the parents very, very upset about this. So they are getting together and they're holding a protest uh, tomorrow, Saturday at half past two and they're asking people to meet at the Bantry Fire Station and that's been organised by the Coaction Parent Alliance. So the Bantry Fire Station tomorrow at half past two for a protest to try to save the Child and Family Centre. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Our movie reviewer joining us. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you're very welcome. OK, two movies uh, to take a look at. Confess Fletch and Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile. Let's start with a promo, uh, though, from a trailer from Confess Fletch. All right, Frank. Where are you right now? None of your business. Come on, Fletch. Aren't you bored? I need you for a story. My father's paintings were stolen. The Picasso was appraised at $20 million. Well, it hardly seems worth stealing. 
You're not a detective. But I was an investigative reporter. It's an occupation that's been cheapened by the digital age, like president. Earl Maurice Fletcher. They caught me in the middle of a yawn. Can you imagine that? Who killed this young woman? I think the victim interrupted an art theft. Your fingerprints are on the murder weapon, and someone matching your description was seen with the victim. Come back with me to police headquarters. I get it. You want my help? Okay. Hey, guys, this is the way we can call in a coffee or a kill for a macchiato. Not literally. Okay, now what we're looking at here is it's, it is a crime, but it's a comedy. Yeah, uh, he's in the back of the police car there, by the way. And okay. uh, just to Looking explain what's coffee. going on there. And, he's, <laughs> and he's, been, he's been arrested for attempted murder. And he says, I'd kill for a mocker, but not, <laughs> not literally. <laughs> so that's a very, very good example of the kind of smart etiquette kind of uh, humour throughout all of this. Okay. Do you remember the Fletch movies with Chevy Chase? Yeah, that's yeah. what, yeah. Because when I saw the Fletchers and Chevy Chase, yeah, I do indeed. Yeah, it's the same character. It's from, okay. uh, it's from the novels of uh, Gregory MacDonald, uh, which I never really thought about reading. But now having seen this, I'm thinking if, it, if they're this clever and this funny. Worth reading. Yeah, I think they are. I must uh, try and, uh, you know, find them somewhere because uh, this is a new version and um, it's kind of come out of nowhere, really. And uh, this time we've got John Hamm as uh, Fletch. Now, the thing is, is that John Hamm is not a comedian, unlike uh, Chevy Chase was. So if you remember, the original che- uh, Fletch movies were very, very smart alecky. They were very clever, uh, but they were very broad. Uh, you know what I mean? Whereas this isn't. This is a little bit kind of more restrained, but it is still very funny. And John Hamm, because he's not a comedian, I think tends to kind of be a little bit more dramatic dry uh, but there are some kind of lovely moments I mean there's a lovely moment where at, at one stage one of the cops says uh, to him uh, you know you're a shady character Mr. Fletch and he goes yes but I am adorable <laughs> you know <laughs> and there's all this kind of stuff in it and it's it's really very funny and I love all the kind of stuff where you know the cops are, are, are trailing him and they think they're invisible and yet you know suddenly he's at the window knocking at the window going Hi. Hi. And he goes, I'm off to bed, by the way, for eight hours. So if you guys are going to be up all night, just go home, get some sleep and come back and I'll see you in the morning. So there's an awful lot of this kind of stuff happening. And John Hamm does very, very well, I'm glad to be able to say, because, look, they don't really make movies like this anymore. It's a small movie. You know, it's not a big, big budget movie. They used to make an awful lot of these back in the 80s. And it's good to see this. And I saw this in the cinema, which was even better. I don't think it's available for streaming yet, but it should be very, very soon. And uh, if it is out and it does come out, uh, do, do download it and do watch it because it's 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 really really worth a watch because it's adult filmmaking it's for for adults and um, and it's very funny it's very quirky it's very so irreverent he, he's, he's, he, from the trailer you can work it out he's getting wrongfully accused and then what he's out to prove his innocence exactly yeah he's yeah. not a detective as he, as he points out there he used to yeah. work for the newspapers and so there are, he decides look he, he finds out there's an awful lot of people who are uh, in line here to have um, murdered this person uh, you've got this uh, eccentric art dealer for example and and you've got uh, his girlfriend, even, who's uh, his, his Italian girlfriend. You've got this crazy neighbour. You've got this missing playboy. So it's up to him then to kind of uh, decipher uh, all, the, all of the clues. And it's a bit like kind of Knives Out as well. It's a kind of a lovely kind of mixture of kind of the original Fletch and the comedy of Fletch and Knives Out. And if you love that kind of uh, kind of thing, then this is will, will be very much for you. I really, really liked it very much indeed. I thought it was absolutely great. It's directed by Greg Matola, who has directed films like Superbad and Adventureland. He had been trying to make this for a very, very long time. But it's the kind of film, as I say, that uh, a lot of the studios are just not really interested in kind of pity. making anymore. It's and pity. it is a shame, yeah. yeah. It's a pity. You know, I paid a lot of money to go to see it in the cinema and I sat there and I loved it from start to finish. An hour and 38 minutes long. Yeah, and it's <laughs> even got the right timing Exactly. On it. Okay. So it was really, really solid and I really enjoyed it. Okay, so confess Fletch. Mark it out of 10. I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10. Yeah, okay. Hopefully that'll be another one. I think there will okay. be. Okay, all right. And then the second one is Lyle, Lyle, 
crocodile. Are we looking at kids' animation here? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's um, it's uh, people and uh, generated uh, computer generated okay. um, crocodile. Yeah, and uh, it it is for kids, um, very much so. But as an adult, I certainly have to say I really really enjoyed it. And it's about this crocodile. The thing about the crocodile is that the crocodile doesn't speak, which is kind of very very odd. Uh, but he does have the voice of Shawn Mendes, so he does an awful lot of singing. Okay. And Shawn Mendes can sing. Yeah. And so this is a crocodile that can sing very very well indeed. So singing uh, crocodile. A singing. <laughs> <laughs> who lives in New York. Who lives in, in an apartment in New York. As yeah. they do. Uh, so we meet Javier Bardem, who's great in this movie, by the way. He can sing and dance, and he's a, mu- a magician. And he's obviously learned a few tricks, because the, you can you know that it's not computer-generated tricks that he does, that he does them all himself. And um, so he is a magician, but he uses birds. And a lot of people are saying, look, that's old-fashioned. We don't really want you anymore. You're a type of magician. We're not really interested anymore. Come up with something different. Uh, so as he's walking along the streets, he sees this exotic pet store and he goes in and he says uh, to the guy and he says do you have anything for me and the guy says well, I've got a ferret you can have uh, and then all of a sudden he hears this beautiful voice from a background room and he goes in and in a cage is this tiny little um, um, crocodile singing a song with the voice of um, Sean Shawn Mendes, Mendes. and um, he decides to buy him now the thing is is that this is where I think the story kind of lets itself down a bit because we, we, we don't know why the crocodile is in the cage we don't know where it came from we don't know why it, c- it has a beautiful voice uh, the owner of the exotic pet store doesn't say anything because they, they suddenly cut to um, Javier Bardem having uh, the, um, uh, the crocodile. crocodile and so what basically then happens is that he wants the crocodile to be on stage with him because that's how he's going to make his money uh, unfortunately uh, the crocodile has stage fright and can't sing in front of people. So Javier Bardem has got to go off and he's got to go on tour by himself to try and make some money. So he leaves the crocodile behind. In the meantime, along come the family prims, uh, including a young boy called Josh, played here brilliantly by Winslow Fegley, who discovers him, of course, uh, upstairs. By now, he has grown up to an adult crocodile. Still doesn't speak, which is a shame, I think. Part of me, kind of the whole time, I'm thinking... Nice to get to know the crocodile. I, I wish this crocodile would speak, but no, he sings and sings beautifully. And they get to know each other and they have lots of adventures. And um, and do you know something? I really, really liked it. I mean, there's holes, there's huge holes in the storyline, which is a bit of a shame. I mean, I think I think if they'd had a kind of an idea of maybe just having good and bad more obvious, for example, Javier Bardem could have been bad. He could have been the evil kind of manipulative kind of person who just wants uh, the crocodile for his own money. But no, he loves the crocodile, in fact. The reality is that. And then, of course, the family all get together and they all become really, really good friends. And... Um, and basically not a great deal happens but there's an awful lot of songs and they're all pretty good songs as well sounds like fun and it is fun. I yeah. think it's for 12s under, though. I really okay. do. But as a, look, as a, as a, as a man-child, as what I am, uh, I have to admit I really enjoyed it. Somebody, a reviewer, tried to compare it to um, to Paddington, and I think that's no. that's not fair. That's because pushed too far. That is way, way too far. It's not a Paddington. It tries to kind of capture that kind of magic and pretty much almost, I think, succeeds. It's no Paddington, but that doesn't mean to say that this isn't worth going okay. to see. Lyle, I Lyle, Lyle Crocodile, which obviously Lyle is the name of the crocodile market yes. at 10? I'll give it 8 as 8 well. to 10. Yeah. Okay, all right. Thank you for that, Mark. Have a great week and we'll chat to you next Friday. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing for today and indeed across the week. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. He's ringing more Christmas bells for Christmas covered at uh, 2 o'clock and also it's a free Panto Friday. Until Monday at 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Short today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.